And I'm Ross Anarelli. And this is the Market Today podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us for episode 130 of the Market Today podcast. This week we have read another book that we will be reviewing for you guys, uh, just our personal opinions. Uh, This week we have read a Brian Tracy book. For those of you who have read a lot of sales books, you know Brian Tracy. He has written a lot of amazing books. And this week we have read a book called Eat That Frog, and we will talk about it a little later in the podcast. But before we get there, Ross, tell us about the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, the Super Bowl, especially over the last few decades, has really become big business. I mean, you saw it yesterday um, with the Super Bowl. I mean, it's something where... It's full of celebrities. I mean, the average ticket is, you know, multiple thousands of dollars, even for the nosebleeds. It makes it almost impossible for the everyday fan to kind of go and support their team. And, you know, things are just changing. But I think more so, you know, you get an idea of what's going on just by, you know, the halftime show. And then also when you look at a lot of the commercials. And I think, you know, there's a few takeaways from what we saw. I think one of the first things that, kind of pointed out to me was you know all the all the automakers i think every single car that was advertised during the super bowl was an ev i don't think anybody advertised a truck a car anything with a gasoline traditional motor everything was an electric vehicle which i think you know really kind of shows where i think these automakers are trying to go they're really trying to push this electric market and i think they realize Um, And I think that's their way of almost admitting that they've been behind the game. I think they knew going into this year that they really needed to step up their game in 2022 when it comes to the EV market, especially after the down year they had last year. It seems like they're really trying to position a lot of production and a lot of things over to this world where, you know, EVs are their future. And I think they kind of took that time of, of lack of sales to kind of restructure and revision I don't know. Did you notice that when you were watching it more that it was it was so many EVs uh, being advertised? Yeah, absolutely. It was, everything was had it was electrified. Let's say, and it was a great opportunity for Detroit specifically to showcase what they've been up to in regards to creating clean energy vehicles. So. I thought it was really interesting. I think it was also very telling, much like you're saying, to the future of where the car manufacturers are looking to go. Um, you know, even Polestar made an appearance that uh, we were talking about the other week uh, in the Super Bowl. You know, that's not a joke. That's a serious amount of money that they're dishing out to be in a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, I think the other thing that was interesting, too, was um, not only were they doing that, but, you know, it's really all these kind of companies that we had talked about on this podcast for the last year. You know, they really kind of started to put their money out there and really try to get, you know, mainstream awareness, which I thought was very, very interesting. Yeah, I think that 
it's going to be a very interesting landscape for the automotive market, especially coming off of this chip shortage and this really, you know, unforeseen automotive market that was created just amongst the pandemic and amongst the supply chain issues and the chip delay issues and parts delay issues and all sorts of things that were happening in the automotive world. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they come back from that and utilize their new EV products to do that. Uh, beyond that, I mean, Super Bowl in general, um, it's just, I mean, Los Angeles, it was really amazing to see them put on a show. I mean, I, I don't know if you have any stats or figures in front of you, Ross, but it looked like they, you know, really went all out for this thing. And I wonder how much money they spent, how much money has been brought into the, to the city of Los Angeles because of the Super Bowl. Uh, as a whole, I mean, you just think about it. It's like it's like a, it's like an Olympic event in your hometown. Like it brings prosperity and, you know, just a massive economic flow into one geographical location. And yeah, it was it was definitely crazy to see. I think it, even though it doesn't really feel like you know we won a super when i say we you know as someone who's born and raised in la i'm, I'm normally naturally a steeler fan um but i did root for the rams when i was a little kid for probably about three years or so because i loved um, a quarterback named kurt warner but yeah i mean the amount of money comes in and you think about this from the nfl perspective right it's they got their dream almost got their complete dream you know they they wanted to bring a team to la for so long they got two teams to L.A. They got a brand-new state-of-the-art stadium, one of the most expensive in the world. And not only that, they were able to get the home team in that game as well. So a lot of stars really aligned, especially when you look at it from the Rams' perspective. The Rams have traded, and I don't know who listens to this podcast as a big football fan, but they have traded almost their entire future for this. They put all chips in the pot. Essentially, they traded all their first-round picks. They really leveraged a lot of the future for the now you know they brought in a lot of really um, high profile players some really big all-stars I mean it paid off I mean if they didn't win you know who knows what the narrative would be going forward it would probably we need to you know blow up this team restart from scratch um, try to get a new game plan for the future so you know from a football perspective massive but when you look at it from you know, like you said, a dollar's perspective, I mean, seats were going for $10,000 like it was nothing. I mean, it was so, so expensive that if you're, you know, I feel bad for, for anyone who's been a longtime Rams fan or, or even, you know, someone who's a Bengals fan from Cincinnati, they got to fly out to LA. It's going to cost a fortune to be able to get your hotel and things like that. Then to get to the stadium, then you got to pay probably what five grand most likely assuming you got like an average seat and I'm not even talking like a great seat to be able to watch your team I mean it is just such an expensive thing they do you know the NFL experience they do so many things Staples Center had so many events going on throughout the week I mean it is just so much money flowing to these that yeah like you said it's pretty much you know an Olympic level event this is bringing in stars from all over the world to watch this. So definitely interesting to see. Yeah, I would agree. It, it was just crazy to see, like, LeBron just covered 
in diamonds at the uh, at the at the game, and all the different stars that were just pull, popping out because it's Los Angeles because it's just possible. So I th- I just thought it it would be interesting how that would affect Los Angeles as a whole, um, and the Rams organization. I mean, for a brand spanking new team, they're not in theory right, but but for a new team to an area. Uh, to really bring, uh, bring a Super Bowl championship in their hometown, and put all that together in the first year of a new stadium, that's that's uh, that's an incredible feat of timing and uh, you know hard work and dedication. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I just think that's honestly awesome. And well, I mean, were there any other commercials that we saw that were were out of the box? I think there were there were a few. I think the other thing too, because we talk about it a lot on this podcast, there was a lot of cryptocurrency commercials. A lot of crypto. I think that the actual number is like fourteen or fifteen crypto commercials. But there was one in particular, and like I said, someone who does marketing all day every day, I I was blown away by the simplicity of it. Now I don't know if you saw this one more, but Coinbase did an ad, and let me tell you, they spent fourteen million dollars on this slot, and they didn't have. Some big high production video. They weren't doing like a Budweiser level commercial or a Doritos, right? Where there's millions and millions of dollars. They put a QR code that was flashing different colors, bouncing around the screen like an old Windows 98 screensaver. That's it. They ran that with some music for like 30 seconds. And people pulled out their phones because they didn't know what it was for. They didn't know if it was a giveaway. It was something free. No one knew what it was. And that people scan this code so many times during that commercial that it crashed the Coinbase website. So a company spent $14 million on an ad that was not polished, nothing amazing, no crazy creative you know, design. If you're the one to think about it, they went to super, super basic. And they spent more on the ad than they did of even making sure their own website infrastructure could handle the traffic. So to me... That was absolutely amazing. I've never seen anyone do anything like it, especially to roll the dice like that in such a expensive time slot. I mean, $14 million to put up a flashing QR code bouncing around the screen like a like a 2000s screensaver is wild to me. And, and I did it. I saw friends who pulled out their phones. I pulled out my phone. You know, I think in the last year or so or two years, you know, if you didn't know how to scan a QR code, whether you were, you know, an adult, a kid, it's something in the middle, everyone now knows how to scan a QR code immediately after COVID from all the menus and things you've had to scan. You can pull out your phone within that 30 second window, boom, scan it, and you're on the Coinbase website before the ad even ends. That to me was amazing. Did you see that one? I I did. I actually, I didn't see it during the game, but I saw it afterwards. And yeah, but it was pretty mind blowing, truly mind blowing. Yeah, so really interesting to see. But like I said, I think a lot of the big takeaways um, from the Super Bowl were really kind of you know I think that we got a good pulse on what's going on when we talk about this podcast. You know, we really have talked a lot about the automotive market and specifically EVs. If you're you know a consistent listener on this podcast, you know I love Tesla and and born I have a you know a past in automotive so it's something near and dear to our hearts but then cryptocurrency you know really everything from crypto.com to coinbase to eToro I mean all the big names were really out um, and spending large amount of money 
on this. So I think it just gives us an idea of what's gearing up for this year. I think we're going to see a massive crypto year. I think it's going to be a massive EV year. Um, and for the first time, too, I think it's important to note the main audience. You know, I heard someone um, yesterday talking about um, how happy they were that it wasn't kind of one of the old bands like the Rolling Stones or Sting or things like that, that their parents used to always watch the older audience. And I said, I don't know if you've realized, but you have now become that older audience. You are now the main demographic that the Super Bowl is going for because these are artists that haven't really been, I'm not going to say relevant because a lot of them are still performing, but really had their big hits, you know, in the, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But millennials are really at a point in our lives where we have a lot of spending power, trillions and trillions of dollars in spending power. And I think they realize that this will get a lot of us to tune in. There's going to be a lot of, um, you know, boomers that didn't know what was going on in that Super Bowl. And there's a lot of Gen Z who had no clue who people like 50 Cent and Mary J. Blige are. So I think it just shows who they're targeting and what they're showing to us. They're saying millennials are the ones that are spending the money. They care about EVs and cryptocurrency. Let's get these out to them and let's see if we can really drive some awareness. So I think, you know, like I said, I like to use the Super Bowl as an overall gauge of where we are as a society because it is. It is, if you watch football all the time, it is the least football event, even though it is the pinnacle of football. You know, there are so many fans that have, you know, know nothing of football. They have no allegiance to any of these teams, but they are going because it's an event. It's a spectacle um, whereas you go to a regular game, you could go to a game in Green Bay, you know, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and it's, you know, 10 degrees out and it's snowing and it's a blizzard and people are just loving it and yelling. Or in LA, it's 85 and, and, you know, people are just living their day. So it's just interesting to see, but I thought it was a really great thing to watch. I thought, you know, it was really cool to see that millennials are, are kind of getting to the forefront when people are looking at advertising. And then seeing people like Coinbase and, and other brands, you know, really try to do something different when it came to their marketing. You know, like, I think the last time we saw a shift in marketing like this was when Old Spice and Axe and them were doing these funny commercials. And now we see Doritos, you know, still doing that style because it works so well for them. But to see Coinbase say, hey, we're just going to put up a QR code and get people slightly intrigued because they're, they're not going to know what it is. They're going to do it because it is so hard so hard as an advertiser to get anyone to view a visual, I say visual, traditional TV advertisement and go to someone's website. You know, on, on a social media platform like a Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, it's a lot easier for you to show someone an ad, they swipe up, boom, they're on your page. If they don't like it, they can leave. But to get someone to convert to your website from, you know, a TV ad is really, really hard. And I'm assuming even though their website crashed, they still have all of that data. They're, so they're going to be able to retarget you back on social platforms. They're going to be able to get you in a lot of different places because they now have a brand new set of people that are interested, millions and millions of people that are interested in cryptocurrency that may or may not have heard of Coinbase before. So super interesting to me. I'm really excited to kind of see some of those ads and really kind of see where the market in these industries are looking forward to. So for me, um, really cool day, really fun to watch. Um, and yeah, excited, you know, to see what next year they're going to be advertising. Absolutely. Now, with that being said, should we go ahead and move into the book for the week? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So this week we read a book called Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. 
Um, this book was all about, I mean, really to sum it up in a sentence, doing the hardest thing that you need to do in any given day, doing it first. Uh, 10,000 foot view. Well, first of all, Brian Tracy, great author, uh, read quite a few of his books and I think this was a solid book by, by Brian Tracy. Um, I think it was pretty one track minded. Uh, you know, it was really kind of repetitive to a certain extent. It drilled it home. There's no doubt about that. And it was just all about finding ways to get the thing that you that could benefit benefit you the most out of the way first in every given day. Um, Ross, what was your thoughts? Thirty thousand foot view. I liked it as well. I, I like I said it's nothing you know mind blowing or earth shattering, but it's something that's always worth being reminded on. And, and you pretty much touched on it. It's, it's doing the most important thing first. And I know that there's a lot of different um, trains of thought when it comes to this. You know, some people will prefer to do a bunch of little tasks to quote-unquote warm themselves up for the big task. Some people prefer to get the big task out of the way so that everything else during the day is easier. Um, for me, I kind of fall in the middle. But one thing I do do that they talked about in the book is, you know, I start my day by writing down all the things I need to do for work. I like to do it on a piece of paper. It's probably the only thing that I don't do digitally just because I like to be at, I think when I write it down, it just, it sinks in a little bit more and it's simple stuff. I mean, it's, it's literally read my email, you know, send my outreach emails, you know, reply to anything that I need to. And then some of the other bigger tasks that I have. So I kind of do it chronologically, but I do get to that point where I've done the, my base tasks in the morning, you know, where I've caught up. And I do, I will, I will sometimes not want to start my main task, the big one, and I'll bounce around to some of the other, you know, smaller stuff just to kind of get moving for the day, wait for the coffee to kick in, things like that. So I think after this book, I'm definitely going to try to prioritize that big kind of scary task and try to get that out the way first um, and not do this where I can do one or the other, try to really just stick to that um, and see how that goes for the next kind of week or so. How about you? You know, I would completely agree with you. I normally am a person that gets the little things done as momentum for the big things. And I've noticed that sometimes the big things get pushed off because there's so many little things. So I think it's something that I would want to take on and just give an, give an opportunity in my life to see what it's all about. Um, I think it was valuable. I think it was an interesting perspective on why to do things a certain way and why to, you know, why to get that thing out of the way, get that big thing out of the way so that you can have space to do all the small things and, and, you know, also just make sure that the most important, most uh, sacred item, I guess you could say, gets handled with urgency. Um, you know, you, you spend a little bit of time really di diving into urgency and the importance of urgency and I'm a big I'm I'm a big proponent to to being urgent in doing things, um, you know I think it's something that's important. So I would agree, and I think that it's valuable to put that big thing first because at least that way you know it's done, you know. So I think I'm gonna get, definitely try it on and see what it's all about. Um, Ross, anything? Any closing thoughts about? 
just kind of overall the book, its value, what, you know, key, any key lessons you took away from it? I mean, it would really kind of just be, you know, that organization, you know, organizing your tasks and understanding, you know, that there is a hierarchy. I think sometimes, you know, in the beginning of this convo, we were almost talking about, you know, how our biggest task and our smallest task, right? But I think some people um, out there just kind of write down their tasks for the day. I don't even think some people prioritize it or put in certain orders. I think, you know, for me and you, that's something that we've we've kind of had to do just for like order of operations. And I'm sure it's the same for a lot of other people out there. But I'm sure there's people out there that are still just writing down tasks with no order. So I think the first thing is if you are doing that, you know, try to get an order down. Try to start getting an idea of, you know, is there a certain flow that's going to work well for you? And then if you do have that big task, try to get to it right away. Because I agree with you. I've seen myself push that big task all the way to the end of the day. It's three, four o'clock. And I'm like, I still have to do it. And I think you know, you're probably not as productive in the middle because you are always in the back of your mind thinking about this big task that's been looming over for the last, you know, five, six hours of your day. So I think prioritizing that will definitely be something that I'm going to attempt for sure in the next, you know, week. I mean, starting from today, I'm definitely going to try to do that and really see how it works for me because... You know, I've, I think the last week I really kind of had these days where I just kind of had one big task and not too many else. So, I mean, closing thoughts. I thought it was well written. I thought it was great. I thought it did a phenomenal job of explaining something that I think is very simple and doesn't really require much uh, explanation. I thought it did it in a way that um, kind of makes you rethink how you're doing your processes and makes it very easy to understand. And yeah, I would completely and totally second that opinion. Um, with that being said, my name is Moore Milo. I'm Ross Anarelli. This has been the Market Today podcast, and we really appreciate your time this week. We'll see you next week. Take care.